things we're dealing with are threats to humanity unlike anything the world has ever seen before. We can bequeath our children a greener planet and a more prosperous future. That's what climate change is about. It is literally not figuratively a clear and present danger. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 5, Just Stop the Tories. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it is green, it is in. And talking of things that should be in that aren't in, green stuff in that budget that happened yesterday as we record this. Yeah, I mean, no surprise, right? And no real disappointment, but nothing on the green economy in um, the latest budget from the Tories who have, you know, declared themselves anti-green. And actually brought David Cameron back in, I think, just to prove the point. The man that left office declaring, let's cut the green crap and, I don't know, bought a shepherd's hut and wrote a book or something. And now he's back. It's not really going to make this government any greener, is it? Quite the opposite. Anyway, I'm blabbering now. But the budget was, well, it was shite for, for green issues. Greenless. Greenless. Yeah, I like that. Greenless budget. I like that. But wasn't, it's always worth reminding yourself of this. Wasn't there a moment, a tiny moment in time, a scintilla of a microsecond when you met oh. David Cameron a bunch oh. of years ago and you thought, do you know what? Maybe this guy is onto something. <laughs> well, I didn't actually think that, but I did meet him and he was husky hugging at the time, you know, pictures of him famously, actually literally hugging huskies, you know, and he, yeah, he came to one of our windmills and, and actually one of the things he was really big on back then was uh, that we should pay local people that live near windmills, get they should get lower energy bills or some money or somehow that kind of stuff. He thought that was the way to solve what he thought was a, was a problem. It's interesting that uh, something Hunt came up with earlier in the week, the idea that people living near power projects uh, will get paid. I'm not sure if it was in the budget or not. It sounds like a Cameron idea to me. Those huskies, do we know what, what happened to them? Do, do they, did they, uh, they died of some horrible <laughs> disease, one, I think. Did one of them write a book or something? The Cameron years. <laughs> From H. The Husky. Five minutes in the spotlight uh, with Cameron, I think is what it was. Yeah, he did a lot of Husky bothering, didn't he, back then? Yeah, yeah. Let's go to this story. This will cheer you up. You are allowed to use the term Tory scum. Yes. Because a couple of protesters were up in court because they'd called Ian Duncan Smith Tory scum. This was outside the, the party conference. I love this story, by the way. Yeah. I love this story. And they were found not guilty of using threatening or abusive words. <laughs> and in fact, or chief, insulting. Or insulting. It wasn't insulting about it. The chief magistrate <laughs> actually said uh, that Ian Duncan Smith is not just Tory scum, but he's a bit of a <laughs> as well. No, he didn't say that. He, what he actually said was uh, that reasonable and criminalizing words, Tory scum, would be disproportionate interference in a protester's rights. I mean, it's a basic... It's a basic right, you know. To, I mean, if you can't insult a political party, we're all doomed, right? Especially the government. <laughs> but more than this, more than this, he was upholding the defense of these people who basically said, look, if you look at the policies that he's either introduced or supported, you know, um, all, all around poverty, uh, essentially, you know, the, the bad things that the Tory party does to people that don't have a lot of money. If you look at the policies that he's been a part of or supported, it's fair comment. And basically, the judge supported that, said, yeah, okay, I see where you're coming from. Because the word Tory's in there. If they'd called him scum, it would have been different. But Tory scum made it okay. Yeah. That's the irony, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> scum. That could have been seen. Hang on. You can't just shout out scum to people. It's just not very polite. You know, your mother would have taught you better than that. Your nan would have been blushing. I get that. But Tory scum, absolutely fine. 
no problem with that yeah, at all. That's all right. Yeah, that's yeah. All right. Uh, there is some sanity in the courts, which is good to hear. <laughs> and meanwhile, and I'm not sure if we're covering the story in a minute, actually, but a couple of protesters that broke a bank window were also up in court this week uh, in front of a jury, uh, Extinction Rebellion protesters, and um, they were found innocent. They were discharged. Uh, you know, their defense was there's a bigger harm going on yeah. in the world, and we just broke this window. Apparently, it was costing half a million quid. I think banks overvalue their windows, actually. Um, but they, they got off. And- I know a fella in Bethnal Green who can give you windows far cheaper than that. The problem is they usually come from somebody else's office to begin with. So that's another story. <laughs> yeah. So there's like great hope in our legal system this week or great fun to be had, right? I mean, the Tories are scum. Apparently that's legal to say that. And uh, you can break bank windows and jury's going to let you off. You know, I don't actually recommend or endorse either of those things just personally. I'm not saying that to stay out of trouble. I just don't. No, you've right? never, you, you, we've had on air debates about that, about the smashing of windows. You've always thought it was yeah. a, sort of slightly counterproductive, which I think I ultimately do. it is really. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Regardless of what the courts say. Um, <laughs> GB News. Now, GB News, I know it's your favourite. They call it Britain's favourite news channel or something like that. I think it should be called Dale's favourite news channel. So I know you love a bit of GB News or <laughs> that right-wing anger. They've come up with this. Uh, GB News says demand for vegan food plunges because people want real meat. Real meat. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know quite what's in the story. I mean, I think there's a clue, right, in the fact that they say they're Britain's most favorite, uh, you know, news channel or something like that. I think there's some statistical chicanery in that claim, actually, because <laughs> I don't think they're the biggest news channel in Britain at all. There's also some statistical chicanery in this, I reckon, because the big picture stats say that over the last 20 years in Britain, we're eating 30%, over 30% less red meat. And I wonder if there's a bit of switching going on to white meat and, and stuff like that. And so there's a marginal increase that they're citing in the consumption of meat. It's up a few kilograms per person in the last mm, 10 years, 10 years looking at the stats. But, but also, uh, the, the, we, we all know the, how these things tend to work. They take a, you know, just a relatively in the ground scale, a small window. And th- there could be lots of reasons why people stop eating something. So if you if there is a, a small decline in some vegan products, that doesn't mean that all those vegans have started eating meat again. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure that's true. And you know, we this is a this is not news. It's worth saying actually the the drop in demand for vegan options has been has been reported on before. Actually, I think GB News are recycling here, and and you know it peaked didn't it? a couple of years ago. Everybody was rushing to bring vegan options to the market into supermarkets. Yeah. Companies were formed and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, a bunch of them went bankrupt as uh, as the bubble burst. But that's okay. That's not the end of the world. Do you think it's still on a voyage of discovery, the, the, the vegan diet? I mean, it's obviously, you know, we, we remember the days when you couldn't get a vegetarian meal in a pub or, you know, a restaurant. That, that was tricky. And once in a while, you would look at the menu right at the bottom somewhere. It would say vegetarian option, which was usually, you know, plain pasta and some tomato sauce. That's all changed massively. And now the vegan side has also been introduced. Do you just think it needs to go that extra yard? Do you know what I think? Vegan options are everywhere now. It's been normalized. I think maybe there was a bit of a rush of blood to the head, let's say, in the market. Um, As I say, lots of people piling in. I mean, one of the facts that GB News are citing is that supermarkets have cut their vegan ranges by 10%. Well, that's not a big deal, really, is it? I think if we were looking at a graph of the growth of, uh, let's say, veganism or plant-based eating and that kind of stuff instead of meat-eating, I think we'd see a zigzaggy line trending upwards. And this is one of those zags that's down a little bit before it carries on going up again. But I also think as sort of the explosion, if that's the right word, of vegan products and food and and, and the like has proliferated 
on the shelves of supermarkets. Over the course of the last couple of years, supermarkets would have gone, okay, so we've tried this. That lot over there, that sells lots. These products don't sell so well, so they possibly just removed the ones that don't do so well, which has given this stat. I think that's a good point. Yeah. Here's an incredible story, although maybe not so surprising. The richest 1%, Dale, account for more carbon emissions than the poorest 66%. Yeah, I mean, an incredible stat of the type that we've seen about flying before, like 1% of people in the world are you know, taking 50% of all flights or something like that. And that's where a lot of these uh, missions of the richest 1% are coming from, private jets and you know, super yachts and, and stuff like that. It's a really important story because it shows a divide of responsibility for the carbon crisis, the climate crisis that we're facing. And if we're going to tackle it properly, we've got to tax carbon as a pollutant, but we've got to make sure that we do it at the super emitting levels, not at the bottom, because you know the poorest 50% of people on our planet are responsible for just 8% of emissions. We don't need to tax that. That's not a problem. Actually, it's, uh, it's at the upper end. And it's a bit like tax itself, money tax. You know, We've got to make sure that the system is fair. There will need to be a system. What we're seeing, I think, is the opening up of some kind of class war globally between the super rich elite and the super not rich, you know, super poor people all over the planet. These rich lifestyles are driving the climate crisis. They absolutely are. And we let them do that, uh, you know, free of all charge. And the people that feel it the most are the poorest people on our planet. It's some kind of class war. Uh, there it's, is. Uh, this, this coming. Yeah, I, I, and I wonder, it's a bit crazy, really, because you, you could argue that the richest, it's its sort of in their interest to address these issues if you want to look at it just from a selfish perspective. But the stupidly rich people like Musk, let's say, you know, they're just building themselves bunkers because they think they can ride out a climate apocalypse or a zombie apocalypse. So in his yeah, case, yeah. I don't know what he thinks. He thinks we don't live in a, in the real world. It's all a simulation. <laughs> so I don't know why he's building a bunker to protect himself from a simulation. But I think the super rich people just think that the money that they have will protect them. They're wrong, of course. You can't eat money. You can't breathe money, yeah. and um, it's not going to work for them. But they're going to take us all down with them. Yeah, but you can stick it up your ass. <laughs> you can wipe your ass with it. Can't That's you? very true. And, and on that point of Musk, at the weekend, last weekend, he let off another one of his rockets, which just sounds like a dreadful <laughs> euphemism. Um, Elon Musk launched a rocket from Texas, and it blew up. There was nobody on it, and it blew up. It's the second one that's blown up. Now, I don't know much about financing a rocket build, let alone a launch, but I would imagine this runs into tens, if not hundreds of billions of pounds just to yeah. launch one of these things. Only for it to blow up and him to go, oh, well, it's all right, we'll do it again sometime. Am I right in saying, though, it's a bit obscene? Well, I think it's obscene. I think even if it hadn't blown up, it's obscene because all of this launching of rockets by these super rich people, the Amazon dude, Musk, you know, Branson, you know, they're, they're, they're burning up our atmosphere. They're they are super emitters of carbon and all kinds of other pollutants in this, you know, kind of rich guys race for space and kind of bragging rights. Yeah. I'm not sure we should even allow it, really. You know, I think this is like a Wild West frontier. You know, these rich guys suddenly are usurping nations in, in the space race and just doing what the f*** they want. Yeah, and then don't give a toss when the thing blows up. It's like, hang <laughs> on a second. There is such a thing as extravagance attached to this. These are vanity projects. I'm sure that there is an argument to say, well, oh, yeah, but they were also investigating X, Y, and Z, and great mm -hmm. if they were. However, the driving force behind this, whether it's Branson or Musk, whoever it is, is vanity. That's what it's really all about. It's my name on the tin, literally on the side of the rocket, etc. I go down in history, and I've got enough money to make this happen. But when shit like that blows up, 
there's got to be a point when you sort of have your tail between your legs a little bit and go, do you know what? Is this really, there's a lot of people struggling to stick a simple meal on their table and I'm exploding $200 million worth of rocket almost on a weekly basis. Isn't there's a lot of people in the world without a table. Good point. (laughs) (laughs) That's true though. (laughs) Yeah. New UNICEF strap line, if ever it was waiting to happen. I say that respectfully. This from Jenny on Twitter says, Dale, is your green gas plant fully operational yet? And when's the next one coming? Uh, yeah, it's up and running. Been so since the summer. It's not quite at 100% output. I think we'll reach that by the end of the year. We're just kind of incrementally getting there. It's all part of the process, I'm told. It was all fine and that kind of stuff. But this is only just the beginning as well. We've got a second project coming next year. It's identified. We're pursuing it now. I hope to start work next year on it. But we're also working on improving what we've got. We've got some clever stuff to feed into the stomach at the front end to increase gas production. We're going to capture CO2 instead of releasing it, which is normal. And we're going to feed it back into the stomach with some hydrogen so that the bugs in there can actually make more green gas. So that's a, that's a good thing as well. And then off the very back end, we're going to bottle the CO2 instead of release it, this reduced amount of CO2. And we're going to use it in the food and drink industry instead of fossil fuel CO2. So we're just going to make what we've got even more efficient in terms of what it outputs. And of course, we've got this other project to make food at the front end, protein from the grass. And I hope we'll have our first grass-fed burger to try mm, early next year sometime. Wow. Uh, Exciting stuff. I thought this was an interesting story, bearing in mind so much of what we talk about in terms of the green agenda and environmental-based issues are around how it's reported, really. You know, people get their information or they get their misinformation from lots of areas of the uh, the media. We know that social media is a den of iniquity. It's the playground of hyperbole. It's the, 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 the go-to place for mischief. So a lot of shit gets talked about on social media. Uh, but actually, some of the mainstream media don't cover themselves in glory in lots of ways. And the former boss of Sky News this is a guy called John Riley, very respected man in, in his field. The ex-boss says, after 17 years at Sky, admits efforts to deliver climate coverage had failed. He says that news organizations are reluctant to pursue climate change stories because they already know the answer that the planet is heating up and there's no news in that that's quite disturbing. Well, it is. And I understand where he's coming from because, you know, sometimes me and you, we look at the agenda for the show, don't we? And we go, oh, not that again. Let's yep. let's find something, you know, with a bit more interest in it. You know, the same old reports about the same old problems, increasing temperatures and stuff like that. But what does surprise me here is the exceptional weather we've been having, particularly in 2023, that is news, right? The incredible floods, the wildfires that are sending pollution halfway around the world, you know, from Canada to Norway and that kind of stuff. These are big news events and you you couldn't make a story more exciting than that. That's what he says. We need to make them more exciting and imaginative. Well, for sake, could it be any more exciting and imaginative than that? It's an apocalypse. Well, yeah, I was about to say, I mean, if it's all about the optics, I mean, how many floods, how many burning fires, how many forests, entire countries on the verge of a pyrotechnic explosion? I mean, really? I mean, there's a shit lot of material there, Mr. Oh, and the UN estimate 4 million people have been killed by this crisis already, and 143 million have been made homeless. I mean, come on, this yeah. is a big deal already. Couple of questions to finish on, Dale. Luke says, uh, "Do you reckon the Tories have got any chance of getting re-elected?" Uh, bearing in mind this podcast re- alludes to the Tories, could they turn a corner and do it? Though, well, what they have on their side is right-wing media, dominated by tax exile, billionaire, you know, 
right wing nuts, basically. Uh, the ownership of it is what I mean. And, you know, they voice their opinions on our country, on our national conversation all of the time. But they peak during elections with the rabid, skewed coverage of the news agenda. The Tories have got that on their side. Also, they just increased spending limits for the election. I think it was yesterday from 18 million, which seems like a lot of money per party to 34. There's not enough money to help them out this time. So, yeah. I mean, normally they outspend all the other parties put together when the limit was 18 million. I think it's incredible. I mean, there is an outside chance. I want to think there is no chance, but, um, you know, the Tories have got Big a lot edge. on their side, a shitload of money and a shitload of right wing media. There it is. And this one from Graham on Twitter. Dale, thank you for supporting the Daily Mirror's nuclear test veteran campaign. And apparently you know more about this than perhaps I do. <laughs> uh, you've, got some, you've got some detail on this, Dale. This began at the Labour conference, the recent one. For me, I was approached by somebody from the Mirror. She was telling me how servicemen and women were subjected to um, well nuclear tests. They were stuck in the, uh, in the blast zone of nuclear explosions. They were subjected oh. to fallout from nuclear explosions, all this kind of stuff. And, and the whole intention of that was to see what the impact on human health was. An incredible thing to do, a reckless, incredible thing to do. The scandal now is that these veterans and descendants of these veterans that have had incredible health problems and are still having them are trying to get their blood tests and medical records from the MOD who began by saying, well, we just don't have any gov, right? Which was a lie. They do have stuff. Now they've said they do have blood tests, but uh, they can't identify whose blood is who. But I reckon they've all got the same kind of problems, which is basically radiation poison. But the, the most important thing is these people are suffering real health problems and they need to know what, what the root cause is. And the MOD yeah. And now the government are, are just trying a big, big old cover up. So we've jumped in, uh, thrown some money into the legal challenge. And I think that's uh, first quarter next year. We'll have the government in court for this. And you'll hear it all first on this podcast, of course. Dale, we're speaking a week. I don't know if you want to know this, but this morning I was stood on top of one of our windmills just down the road, 80 meters high in a fairly strong wind, nothing to hold on to, speaking to a drone camera, talking about ecotricity, bills into mills and that kind of stuff. Wow. That was a fun morning. Was that scary? Do you know what I did? I didn't look down. I didn't think about what might happen. I just looked at Wales, which was like on the horizon, and, and the drone camera and uh, tried to get my head around the ad-libbing I needed to do. Fantastic. I can't wait to see the finished result of that <laughs> uh, and the outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> Speak next week, Dale. Yep, good one. See you. Have a good one. Don't forget, of course, to follow this podcast from your podcast provider. That way you get each episode automatically. And follow Dale on social media, facebook.com slash Dale Vince, twitter.com slash Dale Vince, and on TikTok too. TikTok too. I love that. Zero carbon east off.